Uh, I want to talk to you today uh, to introduce communion later, but just uh, kind of closing up our little mini little mini series over losing your grip to find His. Uh, maybe this week you've been in a position where you've maybe almost lost your grip some. If you have, just raise your hand. Yes, sir. That's right. <laughs> it's it's always just right around the corner. Out at our house, we got this coyote, and uh, for some reason, he's out during the day a lot by himself. I don't know if he did something wrong and got kicked out of the of the uh, the group. What do you call that? Pack. Thank you. Well, you know, the thing is, I feel bad anymore about killing God's stuff. So. I just do. I used to kill so much, and anyway, but he's just out there doing his thing, and and uh, I'm sure he's kind of in a crisis at the moment too. But nonetheless, uh, we do find in our world uh, an atmosphere where it is difficult to maintain a, a balance. Uh, when I say balance, I mean a healthy resolve. We we. There, are, there is much pressing in on us all the time. There's messages coming at us all the time. And today, we're going to be looking at Peter, because I don't think that anyone typifies <laughs> failing miserably <laughs> after giving much grace more than Peter. Uh, we won't always survive the week without some blunders and some bloopers. We won't always make it through maybe even a day without some kind of a zinger that comes from us. And nothing, I think, discourages the soul more, at least for me, than having spent a beautiful morning in prayer and the Word and then being somewhere or reading something and just maybe for a split second you lose your bearing, maybe you lose your temper, Maybe you have a yeah driving you 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 have a series of thoughts that kind of begin to try to take over that rob you and steal you of your joy. You know the devil wants to do that. I'm convinced of this too. The more we turn to God in prayer, the more we seek to steal away with Him. I think the devil wants to mock us, to make us not want to go. And I can't believe I'm about to confess this before you, but I'm going to because I've confessed everything else. Um, Why stop now? But um, when Jesus, when when, uh, in Luke 18, uh, in verse 1, where Brian had read, uh, when Jesus commended that parable to the to the people, he said he he desires that all men pray always and not lose heart. I have been attempting to practice what I preach and, and, and make more time for prayer and pray about much. And I'm finding a, uh, I'm, I'm getting tempted to lose heart. And I think, why? Why should I lose? You've been at it three weeks, you know. <laughs> but I really actually think that there is in this flesh of ours a, a built-in mechanism, I think they call it sin nature, that, that tries to, to get us to do anything than persist and prevail in prayer. And I actually thought today, I don't think there's an even greater sign of victory in praying than discouragement in the soul to not pray. Because that means God isn't the one calling me away from it. The devil would do just about anything to keep us from praying. And so when you find yourself discouraged in your prayers, 
know this. That's the first sign that you're getting into the throne room. The devil trying to run you out of there. You stay. You stay glued. You stay on your knees. So we're going to be turning to Mark chapter 14 today. Going to be reading some rather lengthy passages of Scripture. uh, Because I, I think it's good to have context when we read the Bible. We should always read it as it's written. Mark chapter 14. We're going to be beginning in verse 22, if you will. Picking up in Mark chapter 14 and verse 22 and reading through. And I, I think I have it on the screen here. I, I skipped one. But it says this, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then He took the cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out on the Mount of Olives. Now, the reason I read that to you as we're reading through is because there's someone present here, and it's a powerful moment. Peter's here. Just remember that, okay? Peter is here, hearing what Jesus said. He's taking part in the inaugural event of the new covenant. Okay? All right. Verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And finally, verse 29. Peter enters in. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, Us too. But it didn't work out like that. So there they were. In the most important place of power you could ever achieve. You don't get any closer to heaven on this earth than when you're on bended knee before God. We have to understand that. Prayer is our lifeline. Verse 32, they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, Peter's first again, James and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther, Jesus did, and fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. Now you remember there's three of them, but he only says one. Peter. He says to Peter. I'm like, what about the other two? Peter. Simon, are you sleeping? Mm-mm. Could you not watch one hour? Nope. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's our nature. He said in verse 38, this is pivotal. Peter, watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. 
The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I walk through that one every day in my life. Verse 39, again, Jesus went away and prayed and spoke. Now it says the same word. So if any of you are here worried about saying the same things in prayer and calling that a vain repetition, just know that Jesus prayed the same thing again. Okay, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. What are you going to say? Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer's at hand. In verse 43, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I I kiss him, he is the one. Seize him and, and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. Now notice verse 47. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Guess who that was? That's Peter. Okay, John 18.10. That's where you find out that it's Peter. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Now notice verse 50. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now, you remember before the boast was, we will never deny you. And Peter was like, and out of the nevers, I will never, never. That was Peter. Verse 51 is a curious detail. Now, a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And commentators seem to think that's, the, that's Mark as he was staying there in a home in his sleeping clothes and they came to the door looking for Jesus he knew where he was and he ran off to try to warn him but he got there late and then they grabbed a hold of him and he ran without all his stuff on because I mean they're real brave they're they're real brave verse 53 and they led Jesus away to the high priest and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes now notice verse 54 but Peter followed him At a distance. I think that's the first time we see so far in the Gospels where Peter is now at a distance. Think about that in your life. Right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Sometimes we do try to get comfortable in our distance from God. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but the testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power 
and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard of the blasphemy. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to death. Then some begin to spit on him, blindfold him, beat him, say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. And this is all happening to Jesus while Peter is sitting at a fire at a distance, denying him. But it hasn't happened yet. Verse 66. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out into, of the porch, onto the porch, and a rooster crowed. And what did Jesus say? The cock will crow three times. You will deny me three times. And he says, and the servant girl saw him in verse 69 again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. And you talk with a hick accent. (laughs) Then he began to curse and swear. Boy, that's pretty bad, isn't it? I do not know this man of whom you speak. I can't imagine denying Jesus with profanity. Peter did. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. I know there's a lot of scripture there, but I simply want to break this down so you can understand it. First, before we go here, in light of Peter's ultimate denial of Jesus. Isaiah 57 verses 15 and 16 say, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. God desires to extend mercy. Never forget that. Even to Peter. Who who denied Jesus three times, once with profanity. I can't imagine doing that, can you? But we do awful things in this body sometimes. In the book Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland reminds us of something that I think we should get as we think about Peter. God is infinitely compassionate and infinitely ready to forgive so that it ought to be ascribed exclusively to our unbelief if we do not obtain pardon from Him. God's heart of compassion confounds our intuitive predilections about how He loves to respond to His people if they would but dump in His lap the ruin and wreckage of their lives. He doesn't limit Himself to working with the unspoiled parts of us that remain after a lifetime of sinning. His power runs so deep that He is able to redeem the very worst parts of our past into the most radiant parts of our future. We know what happened to Peter later, don't we? 
most famous preacher in all of Acts. But we need to take those dark miseries to him. What I want us to see today is how Peter lost his grip. Peter lost his grip. You really do have to lose your grip at some point in your life to find God's grip, to keep you, to hold you. And I don't care what you've done, what kind of sin you've been into, or how long you've done it. The words you've spoken, as much as the enemy will try to condemn you and your flesh will try to keep you from believing in the infinite grace of God, just go towards mercy. Sin is why we do this. We already read Mark in these passages. In verse 50 of Mark 14, Peter officially lost his grip when they all forsook him and fled. At some point in your Christian life, you may get to the point where you're mashed in on all directions and you may think it would be just easier to go it minus God because it seems to be that with God things are tough and without God things are easier. But the truth of the matter is, sin is seductive and will try to convince you that you can do it better, not realizing that it is the grace of God that is preventing you from being destroyed. And the only reason that it seems tough is because the enemy is trying to get you away from your shield and your refuge. You think it's a bad inside the tent in a storm? Go stand outside. Sunday school class was talking about I'm fairly, I'm fairly complected, I believe. I mean, I, it hurts. Sun hurts me. And uh, all those years spent trying to get dark ended in failure. Okay? Except now I have arms that just sting with the sun. It, they just sting. Even driving in a car. And so I have this ugly big hat because I'm that old now. And I have these long sleeve shirts because I too am that old again. Mine are more stylish and functional than the old days. And I have typically long pants on. I'll wear shorts if I'm not going to be out that long. But I can feel that sun penetrate everywhere it's not. It, I, I go, I'm covered because it hurts. Now, am I hot? Yeah, a little. I mean, that hat's uncomfortable. I bonk it into stuff, you know. And I look dorky. And, and, you know, I'm, it's, it's, it's not as freeing as being out there with, you know. But it's much better than me being out in shorts and a t-shirt. Because when I go in, I'm not in pain. And I don't like my skin to be in pain. It just hurts. The why of sin, according to David Needham, he wrote a book called Birthright. He used to be a professor at uh, Multnomah back before it... But the why of sin is not some mysterious, sinister spiritual gland secreting wickedness within. Rather, it is the internal mental compulsion to fill the emptiness within created by one's rebellious rejection of dependency upon God. And that is exactly what Peter demonstrates in in the Scripture until that man is restored. I will do it. I can do it. I can live the Christian life. And the Galatians writes, since you begin by faith, 
Do you actually think that you can be perfected by the law? But we get messed up inside. We tend to think about things that are wrong. Which is why I'm always hammering on you guys. If you don't read your Bible every day, and you don't spend fervent time in prayer every day, that's not enough to keep the world at bay. That rhymed. (laughs) Want to say, never say that the preacher can't rhyme. So here's Peter's repeated demonstration of what I would call self-sufficiency, which is the worst enemy the Christian could ever have. Self-sufficiency. First, let's talk about Peter, the expert fisherman found in Luke chapter 5. Just Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So it was as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gezeneret. Galilee. Okay, Galilee. And saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, also known as Peter, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But, Simon, never let anything the Lord tells you to do or instructs you or or teaches you ever be followed with a but. Just say, okay. But Simon answered and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, you don't know anything about fishing. No, he didn't say that. Nothing, nevertheless, at your word, just to placate you, I will let down the net because I respect the fact that you're a good teacher. And at this point, Peter was telling the truth. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish so that their net was breaking and they signaled to their partners, hey, come over here. Come and help. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. I don't know much about those boats back in those days, but I imagine a John boat, you know, a little flat bottom boat, how much fish it would take to just sink one of those. That's still a lot of fish. And when, and when Simon Peter saw it, notice his answer in verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know why I think he said that? Because Peter was, had just encountered the holiness of the sovereign God of the universe as he dwelt in the human Jesus. Jesus, the God-man. Jesus, the perfect man. Peter, the undone man. The self-willed man. The expert fisherman doesn't know what he's talking about. And for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And when they had brought their boats to land, notice this, they forsook all and followed him. That was one of the... 
When we come to Jesus, it's a gradual process for many of us after salvation to yield to Jesus, to His leadership. We have to learn to do that. And it is mercy and grace when Jesus reveals His power to us, isn't it? But I think there will be many occasions in your life and mine when Jesus will point out the fact that you and I don't know what we're talking about. He is God. He could make us catch a whole slush of fish in a kiddie pool. Okay? He, to sink all those boats. I mean, go pay, go pay the tax. And he tells him to go get it out of a fish's mouth. In a river. Where you cast in a hook that you can't see. Nor put the hook in the fish's mouth. Much less know which fish it was. Don't tell Jesus that he doesn't know what he's doing. But we often do. God, I don't know how you're going to work in this thing. I want you guys to pay close attention to the video that will be sent out next week. Because it talks about praying from two positions. Praying from real problems. And the position of victory that we can gain from those. And praying from perceived problems. Which emanate from the flesh and only end in despair. Well, that's how we really typically treat Jesus a lot. Well, what about... What about Uh, Peter, the presumptuous manager in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we have another picture of Peter here. 31 through 33, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again, which is the gospel, mind you. And then he spoke this word openly. Then Peter... The audacity of this text. Look, in verse 32, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him in front of all of them. This is after all the miracles. This is after the fish incident we just read about. And notice what Jesus did. He turned around and looked at his disciples. Jesus turned around. Peter's got his arm around his shoulder. Jesus steers around, looks at his disciples. And he rebuked Peter, saying, Stop it, Peter, that's mean. Nope, that would have been better. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. I can't ever imagine getting a frosting like that from God. I mean, that's a big deal. Do you know what that'd be like? I'll pick on Brian, because he's safe. It'd be like, Brian trying to give me helpful advice that I disagree with. And I said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Well, we'd have to have an elders meeting. There'd have to be a restorative service done. And it'd be be a scandal in the church. And (sighs) But, you know, Jesus was right. The devil will use anybody willing to be used. To try and discount and distract from the will of God. And especially those you love. Okay, that's Peter, the presumptuous manager. How about the devoted disciple? Well, we just read in Mark 14, 29-31, and also the convinced martyr, because both of these passages, and, and you don't have to turn there, but I just would remind you, in so doing... That, that Peter said, 
Even if I have to die, I will never, ever <laughs> deny you. I will die with you. And he failed on both counts. And then, of course, in Mark 14, where we just read when he was with the, uh, the girl and the, and the group around the fire, I call it the tactless tough guy because, you know, I don't know him. Blinkity blink blink, I don't know him. I can cuss, that means I'm a man. <laughs> By the way, I despise profanity. I used to be pretty bad about it. And anymore, I just think it's sheer ignorance talking. You ain't real red if you can't speak without using four-letter expletives. You just, you need to read more, okay? Stop and think before you say any more. Ain't nothing going to undo a witness faster than a cute little expletive. Just stop it already, okay? So, verse 50, as I said earlier, the night Peter lost his grip, they all forsook him and fled. They were real tough. They could do all this stuff. In Mark 14 there, we see a second time the rooster crowed. And it says when he thought about it, Peter went out and he wept. When you are a genuine child of God and you sin, there should be conviction in your life. If there is no conviction in your life when you profess to be a Christian and you sin, there's no Christ in your life. Because sin is an affront to God and sin is why Jesus went to the cross. John Flavel, though, when you do sin, and we do, right? I mean, I do. I don't know if any of you do, but I do. John Flavel said, as God did not at first choose you because you were high, he will not forsake you because you are low. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Remember, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Remember that in Exodus 34, God said that He is full of loving kindness and mercy. And He extends and He extends and He extends. You can't out His grace. To be a child of God is to have the only life that was ever meant to be had. I want to remind you of something. I just take a minute. There's a lot of junk being promoted in our world today through all the means of media, movies, and mayhem. Okay? And there's very little truth in most of it. But the problem is there is some in it. Some. Some. I do believe a raindrop first gathers around a dust particle in the atmosphere. So, there is dirt in the sky. But praise God for the rain. You and I must understand that the only way we can 
stay here is that we must be immersed with with time with God. We, We must be immersed in the Scripture. We must be immersed in prayer. We must. It's getting bad. But think about how much bigger God is. And here's a thought that come to me this week. God will never be trumped by evil. And evil will never have the last word. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And he shall hold them in derision. They're going to try to say, let's cast off the bonds of God. But he will find them on their face. And we know at the end every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is Lord and Christ. And where does all this glorious message dwell? Right here. And right in you, if you know Jesus. We are vessels of God's redemptive work, and it is our job to display it. And when you don't, you will fail. I fail so much, and my wife is so good to remind me. There was a comma. There was a comma. No, you guys are being presumptuous listeners, okay? There's a comma. My wife is so good to remind me, comma, okay? It's a a pause for effect that if I begin life by faith, am I going to finish it by the law? The flesh would love to become a Pharisee to those who love Jesus, to say, you failed, stop trying. Let me remind you of how bad you are. But I have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. You know what He does for me all the time? He intercedes. And He says, that one's mine. That's mercy. Peter's great transformation in Mark 16, 7, when Jesus has rose from the dead, He first comes out and He says, go tell His disciples and Peter. Peter has denied him. That's the last that Peter saw of Jesus when he, in the, in the other gospel, said he looked at him when that rooster crowed. How would you like to have that gaze stuck in your memory bank? And he rehashed this and rehashed it. Jesus comes up, comes up from the grave, and they're like, wow! And he's like, yeah, and go tell Peter. Why? Because Jesus loved Peter. Jesus loves you. And he loves me. Go tell his his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. And he said to you. If you turn to John 21, you don't have to. But if you did, you'd read about this whole scene where Jesus meets them and cooks them breakfast by the sea. There's Peter out there fishing. He just went back to doing what he knew to do. He was a broken man. And I don't think we can appreciate this side of the New Testament. How broken Peter was. Jesus is standing on the shore. He knew where to catch him. He knows where to catch you. He's standing there, not like this. So you remember the whole rooster thing? Remember that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. Okay. Water you're floating on, gone. Okay. 
Not doing that. If you read there in John, Peter, Peter knows Jesus when he sees him. And he takes off his outer guard. He just plunges into the water and he's swimming. And it indicates they were fairly close to the land. A couple more seconds probably wouldn't have hurt, but you have to understand when you've been that broken and you love Jesus so much, and when you're coming home and renewal and personal revival and recommitment, you can't get to Jesus fast enough. Okay? And that was Peter. And instead of being like this, Jesus is like, come on in, look, food. <laughs> because that's what Jesus does. He, he feeds us. And he says in the long restoration, he asked Peter three times if he loved him. The first two times he used a word called, uh, Jesus was saying, Peter, do you sacrificially love me? And Peter's like, nope, brotherly love only. And then the third time when Jesus asked him, he said, Peter, do you really just brotherly love me? And Peter goes, yeah. And Jesus said, that'll work. You see, Jesus knew where Peter was going to end up. And he did. And he says to Peter, feed my sheep, follow me. And, and Peter was the greatest preacher in the book of Acts we've ever seen. What a transformation. Now, this is the same guy that denied Jesus. Remember that? Peter was present when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, joining the Lord in his redemptive ministry. What a privilege. Can you imagine being there that day? Peter was later found denying he even knew the Lord, completely undermining his earlier declared loyalty. That was Peter. And I like this. Jesus restores Peter, not at a renewed supper. You don't need to be saved again once you're saved. But at a restoring breakfast, you just need to come back, child. Just come home. Come home. There used to be a hymn with that refrain in it. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No life. Something in the darkness to see. There's room at the cross. Well, anyway, you get the idea. I get but but it says, Come home, come home. Ye who are willing, come home. The only person that can ever come home are those who've been home before. You can't out your Savior's grace. You, you can't be a perfect wreck so much that Jesus said, too much? He's going to be drawn to you even more. And He's going to zero in on you. And you also will be found to have breakfast by the sea. Communion. That's where we come together on this side of the story. We are a whole bunch of disciples of Peter. That's all we are. Big mass of humanity that have been redeemed and make mistakes. Stumble and fall. Chip our tooth. And Jesus restores we take communion because we declare the fact that we have a place at the table. 
the table of mercy and grace, which is the new covenant. It's sustained by Jesus himself, by his body that was broken for us and by his blood that was spilled for us. And when we take those elements of the the cup and of the, the bread, we ingest that, not in any kind of spiritual act does it do anything, but it reminds us that we are partakers of that hope that will never fade. Remember Romans 15, 13? Three weeks ago. Now may the God of all, or may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And may you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we get. So for a few moments, just where we're sitting, no one really moving. We're going to just have a, just a time of prayer. I'm going to lead us in prayer. It's a time of examination. You certainly don't want to come to God's table presumptuously. Remember, remember, remember presumptuous Peter. God forbid that you should do such a thing. But we want to come in right standing. So let's spend a few moments praying and asking God to reveal any sin to us that might hinder us fully partaking of this. As we're so doing, I would ask the deacons to go ahead and and come and, and set up the table. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious and kind. You are infinitely good. You love us with an everlasting love. When you call us to yourself, you call us out of our sin into freedom. You justify us before the Father. Declare us righteous by your blood and your sacrifice. And then you remain our Savior because we're sinners. Let us never forget. We are sinners and we sin daily. But you save. You never stop saving. The blood never loses its power. Oh God, today, that we would celebrate together the victory of the new covenant. The old had passed away. That which could not atone for sin is is gone. And the new covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ is established in mercy and everlasting grace to all those that come by faith and repentance, declaring Jesus is Lord. God, teach us the beauty of what today represents and set our hearts aright. In Jesus' name.